Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I'm Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and today we continue our discussion with the always engaging Dr. Dan Spanger and my fellow pastor here at Wheatland, the insightful Keith Winder. And we are talking about race, ethnicity, and the church. And we are seeking not only ourselves to walk through our current cultural moment, but also to invite you into this discussion as together as a church family, we seek to live out more faithfully the beautiful gospel of our Lord Jesus and our identity as the body of Christ on earth. Today, in this second episode, we will begin to try to work out together a theological framework for understanding racial divisions and tensions that exist in the Christian church. We talk a bit about how the story of the scriptures, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, requires the church to think differently about racial and ethnic diversity. We consider how genuine and costly love for one another calls us to an even higher plane than equality. And we leave off talking about how Paul's vision in his epistles of a new humanity that is unified in its diversity and genuine in its love is a steep and winding road, one filled with lots of potholes of failure and messiness. But because Christ is risen and we are his body, We walk that road, limping, confused, and yes, even completely disoriented at times, it seems, but never alone and never devoid of hope and confidence in the gospel of King Jesus, who by his life has announced the end of all hostilities and by his death and resurrection has made a show of them open. Friends, we are delighted that you are with us. Thanks for coming along. Welcome back, Wheatland uh, Church. We are now in our second uh, podcast on this topic, just so you're aware and you make the connection. We are doing something a little different here. Um, What we're doing now is something we are just, I think, humorously calling two pastors and a prof, although I don't know if that'll stick, gentlemen. We can always talk about fancy titles. Once Ned Bustard gets involved, I'm sure it'll become... Oh, yeah. He'll have to draw something about it. Yeah, it'll be a picture. Yeah, it'll be a logo. I'm afraid if it's two pastors and a prof, how I'm going to look quite Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get in good with Ned prior to actually. Yeah, I think there's some touch up you may want to do to that. His initial <laughs> oh, there's lots sketch. Of touch up, yeah. <laughs> uh, but in these in these podcasts, what we're looking to do is is sort of tackle some tough questions. And I want to thank Luke and Keith for putting themselves in front like this because I think when you preach through it um, through some of these topics, you don't deal with them sort of direct and head on. And maybe there's a there's good reasons for that. But in this podcast series, we're looking at race and racism and the church and scripture and theology um, as we wander through these topics. So last time we asked some tough questions about how is the church engaging and how are you, Luke, and you, Keith, uh, facing these in your sermons um, and the way that you think. And this uh, this episode, I want to come back to something that, Keith, you mentioned, I think, at the beginning of our last discussion, and that was asking the church to say or to think that when they come into the sanctuary, what they're really doing is a reframing the way that they address these topics. So you said that 
you want to address these topics from a theological framework or a theological perspective. So we, we come in with all this baggage and we come in with all of these problems we face in newspapers we're reading and, and blogs or what we're reading. And, and then we have to come in and hear our pastor say, I want you to think differently about this. So what I'd like to tackle on this podcast is what is that theological framework? Maybe racism is the wrong term to deal with here, but a theological framework for race or how do we build a community? So um, in light of that, what, what, what does a theological framework do for us? How, how, is it, how does it help us look at something like race? Because race seems to be a fairly modern problem, right? I mean, I mean, we can talk about all sorts of Old Testament differences between Jew and Gentile, but race seems to be a bit modern. So what do we hope to get out of a theological framework of something as modern and complicated as a race? And I'm not looking at either one of you on a Zoom call, so I'm hoping one yeah. I see that you've looked away and, uh, but I'll, scant, I'll, I'll wade in there because what I do is I shoot off uh, at the mouth and then Keith says, wait a minute, here, let me nuance that for you. Um, is this why, is this why you have all the good ideas and Keith has none? That's just, right. Exactly. Because I just keep talking and I, I control the airspace. So maybe there needs to be a, a, at some point a competition of who has the, the more bad ideas. Oh, that's true. I think that's I win me. that one hands down. That's also yeah. me. I think I win both of those, the good and the bad. <laughs> So sorry, Luke, go on. No, I, I, I think, um, so part of the question is um, that I'd have, uh, you know, is, is there things that we can learn from what you're calling? And I, I'd have to hear you unpack that more about racism as a modern, more of a modern problem. But I, I think I know exactly what you're saying on that. But what I would want to ask about that is, then if this is a modern issue, uh, uh, absolutely, a, it has ratcheted up tensions in our modern church in, in ways that it's, it's been unknown, um, at least to my generation, right? Um, then is this really something that the scriptures have not spoken to? Or is this something that the scriptures have been unclear on and we have to sort of uh, figure out how to deal with this phenomenon that hasn't been much addressed? Or is there actually um, within our own theological storehouse, in a sense, um, a way to think carefully and Christianly without dismissing um, what is a, a modern problem, uh, as you've put it. And I think that's where we, as the church, have work to do, because it, it can feel, I think, at times that not only has uh, modernity come up with lots of solutions to things that nobody else could ever fix, we've also, it seems, sometimes approached stuff like this, like we have actually discovered the problems that were never there before. Mm. And so I think, uh, and I say this in a number of different ways in the pulpit, when I talk about moderns who think that the ancients were, were sort of dolts and mm -hmm. um, in our progress were much more sophisticated than the ancients were. And I think that's a whole nother topic on itself. All of that to say, I think that what we have to recover is a confidence that the scriptures have spoken to the idea of issues regarding race and ethnicity, and that our first uh, foray into this has to be what have the scriptures revealed in uh, these tensions that we find ourselves mm -hmm. in the modern church. Um, so, so 
Can I turn this back to, I'm going to turn this over to Keith then for a second, because I want to, I want to carry that thought through. And I, and I think it, I think it might be helpful just to go back and I don't, I don't mean to stop the direction you're going in there, Pastor uh, LeDuc, but uh, just to, just to hover on something for a second. When we look at the church and we do save race, do we, do we, uh, do scriptures, do we say the scriptures talks more about unity rather than division, or does it talk more about how to overcome differences of ethnicity? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I- um, and you can tell me if I didn't answer your question, then I'll know if it didn't make sense. Um, yeah, I think, the, I think first, the, 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 the former, that it speaks about unity and division or, and the church's role in being a place of unity in the midst of diversity mm-hmm. rather than allowing diversity to create division. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think it's so important to think through these things theologically and not just paging through the scriptures to find all the places where the word ethnos is used and now sort of creating a biblical theology of race and ethnicity, but looking at the big story the scriptures tell and then seeing, thinking, how does this speak to like your one thing you're mentioning, which is unity and division. So how does, if you think through creation, fall, redemption and consummation, how does that speak to unity and division? How is that played out? and what particularly is the roles. Now, in our portion of that story, what is the church's role in, uh, in addressing or maintaining or uh, seeking unity in the midst of our diversity? I mean, it, it happens in, there's diversity in all sorts of different ways, but, but specifically the one that has historically caused, at least in the American church, the white American church difficulty is, is racial diversity men and women have been in the church and there's been difficulties and struggles, but we figured out a way to have men and women attend the same church. Mm. Um, And we've had rich and poor um, and there's difficulty there, but we figured out a way to have tons of churches that have both. We we do that with all sorts of different things, but we've had a really difficult time not having racial diversity cause division. And so I think that's what the scriptures speak particularly to is this uh, ability through the power of the spirit to, and a call through the work of the spirit to seek unity and diversity and rather than allowing that to cause division. But that, and that's an, I think that's really important in this conversation because I'll, I'll use an example from our fundamentalist past that, uh, you know, one time Genesis was, was put to the work of defeating Darwin. I'm not, I don't want to get involved whether it does or doesn't, but Moses didn't have Darwin on his mind when he was writing Genesis one and two, it wasn't a concern for him. So when we say well, that's really what Moses was after, we do some violence to the text. So equally, do we say what, what, what Paul saw coming was racial? Because I mean, quite frankly, the Canaanites and the Jews are all the same race. That's, that's not an issue. And, and Greek and, and Jew are not, it's not an, it's ethnic, but it's not really even ethnic. It's, you can, you can convert into Judaism if you want. It's a whole religious life and practice. So Paul doesn't see racism coming down the road. I don't think he ever imagines it. So is the text defined by, or when, when Paul uses love or Christ uses love, they saw down the road, the real problem was going to be racism. If not, then these terms are a little bit broader, right? And I think what you're saying, Keith, is that's our particular problem in society right now, but the text is much broader than that. It's, it's pushing us towards unity and diversity. Is that, is that a fair read on what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't, I think that it's fair to say that the text that scripture is always uh, specific enough to address all of our particular struggles mm. and difficulties, and then broad enough to address 
all of the particular <laughs> struggles right. and difficulties throughout history in a fascinating way that most other writings aren't. So yes, I, yes, I would say yes, in the sense of, yes, it is broad. Um, and I would agree that I don't think Paul sees particularly racism, maybe in the way that we think of, of racism, but he surely sees how the difference in uh, background and thinking and your social location is going to uh, hinder unity and lead to division, but that through the power of the spirit, this can be different. Mm. And so the particular way that we, ex we experience it in multiple ways, but one of the particular ways is through, is now with racism. And not now, I mean, in the last 10 years, but right. historically yeah. in the church. But yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would add in there. Um, it's always hard to know exactly what Paul saw coming down the pike. I mean, if you would if you were to ask a Old Testament Jew, faithful Israelite, to envision the modern church, a faithful modern church, that would have blown their mind, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they had no imagination for what the church would become, what God's people would become. But I think, I think what we do see Paul holding out over and over is this new humanity, something that has been done because of the incarnation of Jesus that has created a new humanity and a new community. That, that flows out of that new humanity. So that at that point, I mean, the questions that we're asking, um, almost, we don't, we actually, I think I'm with you, Dan, in this regard, that it's, it, what, what our work to do, what our work is to do in the face of our modern problems, um, perhaps things that Paul never imagined, is to say, how does this new humanity that Paul has addressed, or that Paul is envisioning and, and writing about and talking about because of the incarnation of Jesus, how does that new humanity and this new community, how does that speak to uh, what it is that we're wrestling with at this day? And I think that's the theological framework that I'm really eager for the church to drill down into. Um, to work out if we are a new humanity, what does that mean for, for what could be very modern problems? Uh, certainly if, if we were to step away from the idea of racism for a moment or race and ethnicity, um, what does it mean for the new humanity and the new community to critique artificial intelligence or what, you, you see what I mean? That, that's what we're doing in other arenas, I hope, faithfully and biblically. That's what we want to do here as well. Let, let me hear what I hear you hear you saying, Luke and, and Keith, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong or develop it a little further. Is that when when we hear the word racism and race, those are negative terms. Right? We want to end some bad behavior, mm. and so we need to unpack it in my heart, your heart, mm. the institutions of society. So it's not just that the problem of race is negative. The approach or modern the approach seems to be the modern approach of criticism. So it's a very mm. negative thing. We've got to find a right. bad thing and end it. Yeah. What you seem to be talking about is rather than focus on this as something to end, we're trying to build a community of love that will 
also end or go after those sort of inequities, but the goal is not to end a negative. The goal is to build an actual positive, loving, life-giving community. Is that, is that a fair assessment of maybe where we're at? I, I, like, I like what that nods to um, because I think um, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you have, you have experienced, especially if you come from my background, okay, so I'm hands up in, in I'm, I'm, I'm owning this, that I come from a background that was hypercritical of every single movement outside of itself and, and, but within itself offered no answer for the things that it criticized. All it could do was deconstruct. And I, Dan, I'll let you as a, a philosopher slash historian say why that is and how we got there and all of that. And I know there's interesting things to talk about around that. But I do think that when you take very seriously um, the story of scripture, as Keith sort of referenced earlier, creation and fall, redemption, new creation or consummation, um, you have to you have to tackle that notion, especially when you steep yourself in Pauline language that something is being built. There's this whole structure that is being joined together um, with Jesus as the cornerstone, as Paul puts in Ephesians, um, that is becoming a dwelling place for God by the Spirit as he fleshes it out there. And, and so I... I like what you're saying, Dan. I do think that in the building of that, mm -hmm. there will be patent rejection right. of materials that have no place in that building. Right. And I, I think that's the other thing that um, it, it's not as if we just turn our head away and we're just trying to do something positive. We don't want to say anything negative or that would offend. Um, no, sometimes you have to say, you have to point out an inferior material that's being uh trying to be used in this building project okay i'm stretching this one really far now but you know do, do you hear it holds sort of yeah. what's behind it yeah. yeah i yeah i do and i and i think what i and keith i know maybe you can maybe you can flesh this out a little further what what it seems to me is the 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 point of focus there is not trying to get rid of evil the focus is trying to build the kingdom which comes with also standing up against injustice and evil but injustice isn't the goal to stop the kingdom is the goal to build. And, and I think there is a distinction there, isn't there? Keith, would you say there's a distinction in that? Or are you feeling that the way that our body engages these subjects? Yeah, I think there's a distinction, at least at the very least, there's an emphasis, a different emphasis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the, the emphasis is on that the spirit filled people of God live as this vision of uh, reconciled humanity. And so that, that is the good, that's the vision, that God's people live as reconciled humanity, this new people. And so if that's what the people of God are to be, then that overcomes, um, that overcomes uh, the evil and division and separation or segregation. There can't be a reconciled people when you're keeping others at arm's length and you're saying, well, I don't have anything against you, but if you could stay over there and I'll stay over mm -hmm. here, that's not, that's not reconciliation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I think in that sense, yeah, it is, it is the positive and it, that's more motivating. I imagine for anyone long-term is the positive, good community to be a part of that pushes against and, and overcomes evil rather than just running around trying to overcome evil without something good and and loving to to hold on to or be a part of is that is that a fair way of 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 sort of getting at when you say you want us as a congregation to frame these issues theologically logic logos the center being god not the center being our social problems not that these two are unrelated but is that is that what we're getting at when we say theological go ahead keith i see you nodding your head yeah yes yeah i think so i have yeah Yeah, i think that it's theological and and also i would just be calling myself because I'm learning in this every day as well and and our people as we listen to yeah to see these things not as an outside cultural thing that's happening that now we have to try to figure out what to do about but that's something that we can place into these scriptural categories and this movement of God in the world and so see it that way theologically see it first theologically so maybe it's not we need to see this theologically and not socially, not relationally, right. not politically. Right. We need to see it first theologically, and now that will inform every other way that we see it. I think, Dan, um, one of the things that we've talked about um, privately when we're not putting it out there for everybody, not that we're hiding it, we just haven't done a lot of podcasting in our history, you and I, hmm. um, but we talk about how political the actual gospel of Jesus is in the world. Right. Now, it's it's not firstly political. We don't we don't say, oh, this is our politics. Our politics is the gospel. But what we're saying is that if Jesus is the king of all the earth, and if that all the kings of the earth belong to God, and God has turned everything over to Jesus, if we look at sort of the temptation of Jesus and the nations and all, all of the stuff that the scriptures unpack allegiance to Jesus, the implications that flow out of that for our life in the body politic are, are, are profound, and they have far, re- it's an explosion in a sense that goes out into our world. Um, and, and, and part of those, uh, part of the ripples of that explosion are political, are ele- it's about our allegiances. And, and I think that's sort of sometimes for me, helping put this idea into other, other arenas helps me to see it a little more clearly. Because I think sometimes we get the idea that um, if you're talking about race, ethnicity, racial justice, diversity, you're talking about something that is a cultural or social phenomenon. You're not really talking about the gospel. But what we're trying to say is in the same way that following Jesus as your king and your first allegiance to the kingdom has political implications, your allegiance to Jesus as king and as part of his kingdom also has implications in the place of race and justice and diversity and all of that. 
it, it doesn't lead with it, but there's no way that following Jesus doesn't have implications that way. That sounds like a simple thing you're saying, but mm -hmm. I think in this culture, it's not. It's not no. for people who hear. So, so when you say racism, you mean I'm trying to stop hating people. What Christ said is don't stop hating people, love them. Mm -hmm. And so one of those is a positive thing. And I think to say theological, you're really reorienting the way we approach this to not accept the world's term on it, which I don't find very redemptive. I think they're on the right path in my mind and a lot of things, but they're not actually calling me to what I need to be yeah, which is loving. So I, you know, there's a lot. I see these signs all over. You know, end the hate. Hate doesn't live here. If all I'm trying to do is end hate, I, I don't know even where to find it. I, that would be a never-ending effort mm. to, to unpack and pull out and destroy it. When the scriptures don't say that, they seem to say, "But love your neighbor. Don't don't stop hating them. Love them." Which seems to me a distinction. And, and while that seems like a simple distinction, I, it seems to me for our people that's a very the way our culture works. It's a very hard and difficult distinction to actually make. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I, I guess what I'm asking, I, I think there's what I'm getting from gentlemen, as you say, theologize is, is a reorientation. When we look at something like race, not to take it on the world's terms, but to put it back in this picture, I think Keith used of this cosmic restoration, this cosmic redemption, so that we see that as a part of that whole thing, not that being the whole thing, right? I mean, the whole point of the gospel is you'll stop hating people based on race is a really um, anemic view of the gospel, I think right? You're trying to drag us back into something much larger. Mm. So how, how does this conversation fit that huge narrative of cosmic redemption? And Keith, you've already talked about the body, talked about the unity, the new humanity. How, how does this idea of loving our neighbor fit in with ending hate, fit in with something much larger like cosmic redemption? Well, I think that or all of us affirm to end hate. Like all, all of us want to end these things if that is the only thing that pushes you, if theoretically you could stop hating someone, then what do you do next? Mm. It's like, well, I'm not doing this now. So how do I, how do I view you? What do I think about you? Um, it's great we've stopped doing this. There's no animosity towards each other, but now what? So I think that's why leading with love, um, love does end hate. But love establishes a sacrifice, a self-sacrificing relationship and a, a willingness and a desire and a longing to give of yourself for the other person or for a church community to give of themselves for their community. And so in the same way that it wouldn't be enough for Wheatland to not hate its community, it's like, okay, well, that's good job, guys. Um, but, but if we are not seeing primarily through this lens that we are willing to give up our lives for the people around us and give up our preferences for the people around us and sacrifice our lives for those around us. If that's the way that we truly are, which is what the cross and resurrection gives us the picture of, if that's the way we truly are, yes, hate ends, um, but it also gives us something beyond that. It keeps moving us forward in a way that stopping something doesn't, it do, that stopping something moves us forward to a point and then it stops. But love continues to press us and push us forward. And part of loving is ending hate, but 
love continues further and further. And further. I mean, it is fair because as, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking, again, trying to get at how the theological framework is so different for us. It seems like when you use hate, the reference point for that is the other person. The other person feels mm -hmm. hated. Love is not something that our neighbor defines. It's what Christ defines. So if I'm loving you, I'm loving you according to what Christ has committed. You may not feel that as love, right? I mean, but you'll feel it if it's hate. Like I, I can say that's something that you would know as the person I'm talking to. You would know when I've said something offensive, for example, or I said something that hurt your feelings. But if I'm loving you, you're not the standard for that. God's the standard for that. Christ is the standard for that. So I say, I love my neighbor. That's not something my neighbor decides what that looks like. Christ defines what that looks like. Is, is a theological framework a fact that we're turning these things over to God to define for us rather than saying, I'll love my neighbor whenever my neighbor feels love. That's, that doesn't seem to be oriented to the gospel. I could say, I'll stop hating you when my neighbor feels like he's no longer hated, but that, that, that doesn't get at it. Like, is Christ the logic for this? And how does that happen? I think love creates that sort of theological framework because he's defined it, as you said, by his sacrifice, by his resurrection, by his law, by his grace. It's his love by definition. Mm -hmm and not ours to define. Right. And so I think there's a sense in which, uh, picking up off that, Dan, there's a sense in which that we could be really happy with, we could think loving our neighbor means not hating them. Right. In that other scheme. And what you're saying is that's not it at all. Hmm. Like simply not hating someone because they're uh, from a different ethnicity than you is not actually completing the commandment to love one another as I've loved you or to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that might be somehow part of it, but there might be a sense in which not hating your neighbor has zero embodiment in, in the way that Christ's love for his church and for his people and for the world, as God says, as, as, as John says in in chapter 3 verse 16 his love for the world always was this pursuing patient coming to dealing with the evil that was there so i think i think that's a great thing uh, i don't know that's exactly where you were going with that necessarily but there's a way that what you're saying the culture is asking in all of this is not to hate each other for the church that just isn't enough yeah, no, I think, I think that's one part of it. And I think what you guys are saying, too, is saying that the reference point for this is not how my neighbor feels about it. So we'd have to stretch this into another topic, but yeah. let's look at transgender gay rights and say, right. well, we've ended hate when you no longer feel judged by me, me. but that Christ says that, uh, that definition of love is not, that's Christ has a whole definition that uh, I, I have to hold mm -hmm. myself accountable to. So loving my neighbor may not look to my neighbor the way that love looks because I don't get right. to define that. So I think there's another piece is how do we help our people say, don't, hate, hate is what your neighbor defines, love is what Christ defines. So now you've got to follow his rules and laws to do that, which may be un me feel uncomfortable, or maybe it makes mm. my neighbor feel uncomfortable, quite frankly. Yeah, because if you, I mean, I think, I know we don't want to take this into a, a podcast on human sexuality and- <laughs> Sorry about that, that's my <clears throat> Pardon me, but yeah, I, I, think, I think that's an excellent, one of, to me, that's one of those cross-reference not to plug the other podcast, but that's one of <laughs> those ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's one of those ways to help think about this topic as well. Is that um, if we have neighbors and friends who, and and if you've 
not to be anecdotal, but if you have a, a someone in your extended family who um, is is uh, struggling with their sexuality or or is wants to live out their sexuality in a way that contradicts what the scriptures teach about human sexuality, um, you find that oftentimes what they're what the demand is not simply just to accept, but to, um, but to uh, wholeheartedly endorse uh, what their definition of you loving them is. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, what we see in the scriptures is that it is this long and faithful presence with a loving pursuit with holding out the truth as it has been revealed in scripture, which is always our, our, our benchmark and our, and our center and our, and our litmus, holding that out at not, not being weary and well-doing in that work. And I think that's the same thing when you, when you pull it out of that world and into this world, it's the very same thing as well. Not being willing simply to love someone the way in which they demand it but to love them in the way that the Jesus has defined love by his very life and death and resurrection. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I think I like what you guys are saying. The only thing I would push back on is that um, our failure, I think in the white evangelical church in American history has been, we haven't listened at all to the way that our African-American brothers and sisters have not felt loved by the church. And so not that, so it's not that the receiver is the one who gets to Mm -hmm. define love. Um, So that's true that Jesus, God is the definition. God defined is the definer of love. Um, But I think our failure has often been that we have just treated people in a particular way and chalked that up to, well, we're loving you. Sure, we're loving you. And so what I think culturally has been helpful is been the push to say, hey, we've, we've lived a certain way or the church has done things a certain way and people have not experienced that as love. So I think the, the challenge to the church has been helpful. And then I think it's important to listen to certain voices. So it's, it's important to listen to trusted voices. So so Esau McCulley, Erwin Ince, Carl Ellis, Jasmine Holmes, these people have taught me what it has been like for African-American brothers and sisters in Christ to experience, quote unquote, what we, I mean, to experience what we have defined as love, quote unquote, throughout our history. And so then they don't come back and say, we're gonna tell you what loving us would be like. They, they push me to the scriptures and push me back and call me back, sort of confronting me with the gospel of Jesus Christ, like our church says Mm -hmm. as part of our mission statement. I think I have been lovingly confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ by other people in our church community who have experienced, um, yeah, who've experienced this particular social situation different than I have. I think that's a, oh, go ahead, Dan. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I think that's um, a really important distinction to make because the, the, the real question is, is who are you allowing 
to set the definition. Like I have um, black brothers and sisters in the church who have said, it's not, it's not CNN that gets to determine or Fox News or, or any, any, the world in a sense that gets to set these parameters, absolutely. But what I think picking up off of what Keith says, the place that I have heard um, helpful pushback uh, is from brothers and sisters in the black church whom have said very challenging things, not about cultural expectations, but about gospel expectations for the church that have said, um, and who have said, if you believe this cosmic gospel, then please help me understand why X, Y, and Z, if that makes sense. And, and I think I, I would affirm with Keith that that's, that's the particular challenge in all of this as well. found too is that what, what we're talking about and this is where i go back keith to your point about theologizing this is that the theological standards for loving neighbor are far higher than our culture's standards i mean ending hate reparations institutional structural changes these things are really low in one sense low hanging fruit you could you could get all of that done very simply um but you wouldn't end the real root of the problem which is sin um, which is much harder to root out and therefore the call is much higher to love and it seems like what i think we're all engaging is very certain and simplistic answers that if you can just get these few things done and you're unwilling to do them, you're unwilling to end hate. And to your point, Keith, I think when, when Christ says, love your neighbor as yourself, um, quoting the whole law of the scriptures, he's quoting something so high and so difficult that it's something we never grow at peace with. We never finally conclude, right? And, and, I, and I think what the world is asking for is actually, it's conclusive. You can, you can do it. You can do all of these things and end it, whether it's free market capitalism, whether it's but, but the call to obey God and love neighbor seems to be where you are, Keith, which is it's always a wrestling match. And for African-American brothers and sisters to find ways to push us and to forgive and find us to push and forgive, it seems like the, Christ doesn't give the church a resting place on this. He calls mm -hmm. us to something that we ultimately will never, never conclude. Yeah, I, I think I've said in private conversation, and now I'm saying it publicly, which is probably not very smart, but <laughs> I... You know, when Jesus says, the poor you have always with you, or did I say that on this podcast? You may have. Oh, well, I'm, I'm an old, this week, Dan, I turned 45. <laughs> so I'm halfway wow. to 90 as of this week. So <laughs> if this is your midlife, you're doing pretty good. You'll have to indulge an old man here. But, um, but it seems to me that what he is saying is, look, the poor you've got always with you. Forget about them. Um, don't worry about that. That's not exactly what he's getting at there, but I think there's a way to hear his words and, and, and to say, brothers, sisters, friends, we live in these days of uh, prior to the consummation, we live in a world that will always be broken in these sorts of ways. And that in the way that we will always have poverty among us because of the thoroughgoing work that sin has done in the world, 
we will also always be living with these seeds of anger and hatred that develop on all sorts of ways, one of them being racial and ethnic tensions amongst humanity. Mm-hmm. This isn't going away. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, will the new humanity, will the new community offer an answer that is not cheap, that is not actually no answer at all? Or will we grow, listen to our brothers and sisters in the African-American church on our own continent who who have stories and struggles about the ways in which they've been hurt and harmed and and pushed away? Um, Not letting, not, not not saying that because they have experienced the um, pain and hurt that we uh, have that that whatever they say is is abs- absolutely just welcomed in and okay well if that's your answer then then we'll go with it but the in my experience that's not what I'm hearing yeah I'm hearing guys who love the gospel and who love God's kingdom say brothers I think you may have sold yourself short on what the gospel calls us to. And, and, and so, and in other words, they're operating from a theological framework in, in, in their critiques, the best of this. And I think we have to hear them and, and reckon with that. Yeah. So here's, here's what I, what I hear in my brothers and sisters, Wheatland and elsewhere is that there's a, there's a, there's a guilt for getting things wrong, whatever that means, yeah. but that sometimes that's referred to as, well, the problem is still here. And therefore, that's that's the reason why we need to feel guilty about it. Um, in one sense, rather than addressing whether we've actually gone to the lanes crisis calls to to love our neighbor, it seems like as long as there's these structural problems, I'm I'm still to blame for these things. And I think a lot of people really racked with guilt. I think they mm-hmm. they they hear this coming from their culture. To me, that's not a theological perspective. And, and I'm not saying that you accept things. That's that's not. But the theological perspective says that you're doing this as a matter of reconciliation, forgiveness, love building a new humanity, not trying to just make sure I end some sort of practice that's going on in society. And maybe that gets to the point of what you're saying about Christ saying the poor always be with you is that's not the measure of love. You, you haven't loved your neighbor when you've ended poverty. Mm. You haven't loved mm. your neighbor when you've ended all racism. That, that doesn't seem to be a very likely possibility in a sinful world. It also doesn't seem like a theological perspective if I'm using that term right. Yeah, yeah and I think the danger of... So using that passage uh, that Luke's talking about, Jesus saying the poor will always be with you, the, the danger can be, oh, this is, this is going to be complicated. Like helping, helping people who are uh, in a different socioeconomic uh, setting as I am, this is going to be complicated. And the disciples could have just thrown their hands up and said, oh, we have no idea how to do this. It's all around us. And so we're not going we, we throw our hands up. We, we've tried. We, try, we, we don't know what to do. But in Acts 2, it seems like, and when Paul writes, it's like, oh, this is the very thing that we are committed to doing, is, is to serving and helping the poor. And so we could do that with, with uh, a struggle or feeling guilty about racial history and, and, the, and the present struggle with racial justice in our country. We could say, this is huge. This is big. I have no idea how to accomplish this. It's always going to be around. There's always going to be divisions. So it's too overwhelming. And now rather than trying to address it, I'm gonna make, make the gospel more narrow. And maybe that's consciously, maybe that's unconsciously, 
in my state of being overwhelmed or feeling guilty, I'm going to narrow the gospel to the point of now I'm just concerned about somebody's salvation and their eternal destiny. Mm. And I think normally that's probably out of a sense of being overwhelmed or guilty and not sure what to do. Um, so then we narrow this vision of the gospel. But I think our call is to keep it broad. This, like you mentioned, Dan, this cosmic redemption view of Christianity, that God's doing something in every single aspect of the world mm. and that his redemption reaches into every single aspect of society. And this particular one now, we are struggling with, for many, I would imagine in one sense, at least in my generation, for the first time in stronger uh, um, or yeah, in stronger ways, we are struggling with what it looks like to work towards unity and diversity. And so we're gonna spin our wheels, I would imagine, in some segments and in some corners, because this is new. Um, this is a new struggle that we have been made aware of that was always always there, but now it's we're more aware of it in a sense. And so I anticipate us spinning our wheels as we try to think about what it looks like to bring restoration and restitution and reconciliation and any other R that I could think of. So it's, I imagine we are gonna spin our wheels and we're gonna make mistakes, but that's why it's so important for us to be listening to others and uh, faithful witnesses and faithful voices that we can trust. And, and to be, and I think to be having the conversation within our own family and fellowship. Um, and I think this goes back to why we're even having this discussion. Mm. It would be a lot easier in one way to hold our theological distinctives, like well, there is this cosmic gospel. It's not just about you. It'd be really easy. It'd be a lot simpler to just hold, you know, to say, this is our, this is our theological framework, but you know what? It's so hard to talk about it because it, it, it touches so many things that we're, we're, we're going to just go silent in some of these areas. But I think that's the important thing is that the work that we're doing here is almost, it's just regular old, not regular old, but in a sense, it's regular old discipleship, which we're all desperately um, in need of in a sense. And that I think maybe it was the last podcast you said it, Dan, sanctification, growth in grace is a really messy business. It's, 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 it's never this definitive three steps to sanctification right. or 12 steps to sanctification. It's like, oh my goodness, it feels like this uh, meandering path through a very unfamiliar territory. Hmm. And um, I, I think what, what I keep coming back to is that this is precisely the territory and the context in which the church has been planted with the word and the sacraments, and that we are not one bit um, unconfident or, or fearful that the church is not up to this challenge mm -hmm. even, because Jesus reigns. Right. And, and that to me means that if we're silent about this, we, we don't really believe that Jesus reigns or we're struggling to believe it. Okay. And, I, and I, I, what I've appreciated about the way you gentlemen are, are approaching this, which I'm hoping 
people tune in here because sermons are not necessarily a great space for this is to hear you wrestling um that this isn't easy there's not a landing point there's not an end game there's not a very clear oh, no we've nailed it and i can point to the five people in the church you have everyone else is still mm -hmm. outside the, the mm -hmm. bubble um and I, and I think what one thing that yeah I've, I've concluded from being reformed which i love is that success actually looks like romans 7 right success actually looks like i'm willing to wrestle i'll say to students are you struggling with sin and then i say i better hope the answer is not no to that mm. because if you stop struggling with sin then we have a problem if you're struggling mm -hmm. with sin then you're in the right place um and i think that's what i'm hearing is that this is something that we have to we're not gonna christ isn't gonna reveal to us in the next set of policy changes or the next sermon now we've nailed it this is this is what it looks like to wrestle i'm gonna i'd like to come back with another one if i could and address something that i, I think is coming out of this conversation and we can call it a discussion of social justice but to mm -hmm. go back to christ's statement and I'll, I'll leave this as a teaser maybe we can pick it up the next one answering this question is loving the poor the same thing as ending poverty? Hmm. Or is loving your neighbor the same thing as ending racism? Because I think, I think there's a lot in that, that that can be torturous for a Christian trying to be theological in a world that won't allow him or her to be um, that I'd like to tease at. So, so maybe the next one we can start that way. For this time, I want to thank you, Pastor Luke and Pastor Keith, for the time you've taken as we wrestle through these things. I look forward to the next conversation. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.